Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Horse. The fifth column. Do you want to do it again? I did. That's fine. I did. That's it's fine. fine. Yeah, it's fine. We'll, we'll figure it out. Just don't, don't do the thing with your okay. gun. Camille, yeah, for crying out loud, don't, you don't want to hear that? Cock your Why not? 44. Yeah. What is it? What kind of gun is that? Oh, <laughs> yes. I love it. Do you know the sound effects you get when, when Camille Foster is in Virginia and yeah. in New York City? Oh, it's just yeah. different. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, you usually, well, when you he's know, in New York City, you hear the foaming say, of his latte machine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I don't want you to say that I'm in Virginia. I don't want you to say anything more specific than that. I wasn't going to disclose kind of, that. It's kind of a big place. But you know, it is a big place. But I don't want to give any clues. The, the fact of the matter right. is, I have I've left Brooklyn. I've departed the compound in Brooklyn, and I am in mm. Virginia. And I've got plenty of acreage and ammunition for any nigga who wanted. Yeah. We're here, and we stay ready. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty. Good. That's what's important. That seems important. Yeah. yeah. And anyway, it's pretty, I, pretty I, I would say I was edited out, but I think the one that we did yesterday, we might have mentioned it too. I don't know. Did we mention that, Matt? Ah, we, we were mostly just talking about you. So yeah. uh, it's kind of... Well, why are we talking about me? <laughs> By the way, this... this Was it Fisher that sent something along today on the Fifth Column Reddit? Which I, I don't read because I, I know that there's going to be things that will make me sad. <laughs> but, uh, but today was, a, was, I was an exception. Over there and, yeah, what was it? It was something about that. I, I just saw the headline. I was I was busy dying, and there was something about how I I have the I'm like I'm positive or something. Yeah, they moved straight into mourning. They're just like oh. talking about like GoFundMe for your funeral. Oh, that's great! That was sweet of them. I yeah, mean, that like was, that is beautiful. Well, it's funny because. Um, there's uh, it, it, not to always uh, mention uh, Hitch, but in the beginning of his memoir, Hitch 22, he talks about having read his obituary because somebody got it wrong and they published like Christopher Hitchens is dead. And he got like an insight into how people people would see him, um, which is what happened to Alfred Nobel famously and uh, who was the inventor of dynamite. And uh, when he read all these uh, obituaries about how he was a complete monster, he started the uh, Nobel Peace Prize. That's a good story. Look at that. There you mm. go. There you go. A little bit that of is a good story. fighting that, value yeah. in your waning days on this planet. I know. I'm not I'm not dying yeah. now. I'm just So I, my question I, for you yeah. is is <laughs> since both of you and I were at the doctor with face masks today. Yes. For, uh for different reasons. Uh, although yes. I tried to, I totally tried to backdoor a test. They weren't having it. Oh, um, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, because I was in, I was in there to get my the stitches out of my finger. Um, because uh, deep, uh, deep cut listeners might recall I wasn't on the podcast recently, and, and yeah. the reason, more or less, is that I had uh, uh, lost a fight with a sliding glass door and just absolutely mangled my knuckle. Um, and then there was some. I, we, had, we had told everyone when you were here that you punched your five year old. Is that wrong? I mean, there's different <laughs> euphemisms that we play with. Uh, and so I, I went in today to get my stitches out. And uh, I'm like, oh, I just have to tell you uh, that I've been in close contact with uh, a, a person, including one person who took a test even today. Um, so, yeah. you know, in yeah. case in case that matters to you and you have like some tests lying around, I'm all I'm all here. And they're like, you know what, you're you're 
your temperature is 97.7. If you got no symptoms, yeah. come come back to me when <laughs> when the dickhead's uh, positive. So, but my question to you is uh, when you went in today to actually take the test because you're using your diabetic white man privilege, what was your yes. uh, what was your temperature? Diabetic privilege. Um, I think it was okay. It was probably fine. Yeah, you don't have it. You <laughs> okay. totally don't have it. So Middle-aged man more with negative, a cold. One more negative test for the pile. Yeah, well, hold on, hold on. It takes 72 hours because we're super efficient in America. And they've apparently developed a test that um, they can turn around in, I think, four hours or something. But um, I don't, I went to this kind of Dollar Tree versus the Wegmans. I, you know, I'm not, I, I got the 72-hour uh, turnaround. But I talked to my doctor this morning morning uh via a a uh um you know a video conference and um her thing is like look i had all the symptoms and i told her i was totally straight up i said i've had the stomach bug i've been really sick and then there's a couple of persistent um things that are the same as as uh what you'd expect uh from from whatever this is the corona business and uh and um she said the diabetic thing is uh worries me for x y and z reason and i had um traveled uh and there was another a bunch of other things and she said can you this was at like nine o'clock um they automatically because i sent her a message on sunday night she, they automatically booked me an appointment with her at nine so i was up and i just hopped online and then she said can you get there at eleven thirty in the east village and then the people called me like 25 minutes later and said um how are you getting there and I said, I don't know, maybe you either walk the bridge. And she's like, you're not walking the bridge. <laughs> I was like, well, I don't know, maybe. And I was like, I'll take the L train. It's one stop. And, uh, and she's like, do you have your mask? And I was like, no, it's, it's you know, it's, they're being hoarded by that guy in the New York Times. And uh, I, um, so she's like, just put, you know, um, make sure to like put a scarf over your face or something. Yeah, they're in incredibly cautious. And the second you go in the building, um, you know, there's hand sanitizer and the was woman at the front desk who is like a young woman who is like a security guard, whatever. And she gives you, she's not wearing a mask and she gives you a mask. And then, um, when I went in, I, uh, it was really efficient. There were like th two other people in the waiting room and you're like 10 miles from them. And this other woman looked like, um, you know, the, you remember the Invisible Man movies of the of the forties, where it's just you know people gauze on and like glasses. <laughs> you know, it's like there's these people just totally covered up and paranoid. And so I I go in and and it's really crazy because you go into the room and the everything's like wet because they have just like hose. It smells like alcohol. They've just like hose the place down, and you uh, sit down and then they shove a Q-tip up your nose. It's like that, that like squishes on your brain. It's so deep. It was so horrible. Um, I taped it, so maybe I'll put that in right oh, here. Oh, um, really? <laughs> yeah. Well, I yeah. mean, like what? Uh, okay, you just put it I in. I didn't video. I just, I just was recording it because why not? And uh, and so the guy, I told Camille this, is that the guy, I said, look, you know, he said, how many are you going to do today? He said, there's not three doctors or something. And then we can, we'll do 40 today. 
And um, it seemed like it was, and they said, no, we have plenty of tests. It seemed like the capacity was that, you know, doctors to actually to administer them. And uh, he said, you know, it takes three, three days and then plus the weekend. So we started doing them on Thursday and we just got the first batch of results from that first group of people. And keeping in mind that the first group of people are the people that are the highest risk factors, right? Um, travel abroad, uh, a certain age, have all the symptoms, et cetera. And he said, uh, out of the 40 they did, they were all negative. Uh, really first day yeah all all negative and um that's great so i in like, like like i you know i feel like bad you know we all got to get the test at some point but i'm like cue jumping and i was like look i don't uh, this is what i think i had i had a fever i had you know all this stuff and um but i assume that and he's like he, as he pointed out it's also it's also flu season and he said almost all the people that came back did have traces of the influenza virus um, and there's just the false positive that you're going to get. But the other thing is that made me less terrified for myself, um, was that, you know, I said, okay, if I do have it, what do I do? And he's like, nothing, we don't do anything to treat it. You just hang out at home. I'm like, all right. And he's like, and then it starts, you know, if you have X, Y, and Z happens to you, we got to like put you in the hospital and then, then the well, I mean, respirator yeah, pneumonia come. starts to set. Exactly. Yeah. If pneumonia starts to set in, that's yeah. when it becomes an issue. And yeah. that's when you need to be hospitalized and you're getting IV fluids and they're essentially trying to support your body while it tries to fight off the malady. But for most people, yeah. it is the sort of thing where, yeah, you need to go home. You need to do all the things that you do when you have a high fever and a really nasty yeah. cold or a really nasty flu. Not to say that this isn't important, um, but it's it's not slaying everyone that it touches. It's just not how it works. Camille, I've also read that there are a lot of <laughs> negative, um, a lot of negative test results coming in. Um, yeah. I don't even know what that means. What does that mean? A coronavirus truther? I, yeah. Do you think that um, this I, I tell is the truth a plot about everything. to unseat President Trump? No, I don't think this is a plot to unseat President Trump. I do think that we've crossed the Rubicon, though, um, the Rubicon where it doesn't really matter how bad it is. It is an apocalypse. And even suggesting that this might not be the worst imaginable malady and that it may not be as bad as a lot of people fear is potentially going to get you in trouble. Also, if you're the prime minister of the UK and you come out and say anything other than shut everything down, shut it down immediately. Um, you're likely to send people into conniptions. Um, so that's, that's a problem. Like <laughs> there is no, there is no moderate response that is sufficient. Um, we essentially have to do everything all the time right now because this is the worst thing imaginable. Um, and once again, like overconcern becomes the only category of error that we don't care about. Yeah, I think that the, I, I sent you guys a message about this, like potentially talking talking about this the very subject because I don't know enough about this stuff. I mean, I know probably what most people know who have been consuming the news and paying attention, but um, I don't purport to be an expert or have any special insight into it, but um, only my own dumb experience. But one of the things that I think is fairly interesting is this new, it's kind of a new thing that the, the I think it comes from the kind of crusade against fake news is that, um, you know, this is the, the journalo crusade now uh, that all kind of dissent on certain things is essentially denialism, right? It's like, 
when you say, I don't know, is this really that bad? Is it going to be that bad? And then it's your, they descend and say like, you know, whether it's Boris Johnson, who uh, a listener sent a, uh, a message today defending his approach. And I think he actually works in the the area of infectious diseases. I'm not sure, but it sounded like he did and said it wasn't um, a crazy uh, point of view at all. And something I think he actually agreed mm -hmm. with. And, you know, it's, it's this thing of like, you are, you are a, a denier of things. And that, that word I find, which of course came into the political lexicon with Holocaust denial and now is used in a lot of other areas. And like, look, I, people can say, if it's natural, I think for people to say like, if the actual solution to this um, virus is to stay home for most people. And for most people, it'll be mild. And there's some redefining of what mild is And mild. Essentially, some people say, well, that just means you're not going into the hospital. Um, then I do understand that people are saying, well, well, hold on a second. And you know, the, 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 the people who are dying are people who are probably, you know, are prone to, to, um, you know, be, be felled by things because, uh, they are older and they have weaker mm -hmm. immune, immune systems, whatever. So I get the instinct. Some, I don't know something if it's right might or come wrong, along and but, kill them. Know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that there's the, the notion that there might be some compromise that ought to be struck between the economic calamity that is likely to befall a country a as world. a result of stopping everything right away, right now. And saying, you know what, maybe we won't do that. Maybe we'll try to find a, a middle ground of some sort. Maybe we'll try to, to see if there isn't a way to obtain some level of herd immunity by allowing folks to perhaps contract this and it to work its way through the society at a more modest clip in the hopes that we can get back to even quickly, as opposed to trying to, to get everyone to stay home right away and perhaps stay home indefinitely <laughs> to try and completely stop this thing in its tracks. It doesn't strike me as a completely absurd uh, approach to trying to, to address what is a really difficult, thorny, challenging problem. Um, and again, I can appreciate how certain people might be a little less um, interested in any of the risks associated with a strategy like that. Um, but I don't know. It's it's one category of risk, and there are plenty of risks to consider in a circumstance like this. It seems entirely. It seemed like an entirely reasonable presentation to me. But again, I'm not I'm not expert in this either. Um, although I've been doing a lot of reason, reading, as I know we all have, uh, and there's plenty of interesting stuff to contemplate, and there'll be interesting things to see play out as well. The uh, the. I think the unknowable here, and we're going to find out, you know, in the next seven days, maybe, I guess, in this country, is what happens when the wave uh, goes up against capacity. Um, I suppose that's – I haven't read too closely on the Seattle situation. Uh, I suppose that's kind of what's – sort of happening in that one micro community. But on a broad level, we haven't seen it here. We've seen it certainly in Italy, um, uh, saw it in Wuhan, although it's important, it's impossible to measure accurately what happened there. Um, so I can understand people freaking out and um, and having this series of kind of escalations. It's amazing. Every single day, I uh, 
I kind of overpredict what's going to happen next. Like on Friday, I think I wrote a piece about uh, for reason about uh, Bill de Blasio's comparative intransigence in not closing the schools. He and Richard Carranza, the, the school chancellor, were pretty um, kind of defiant and also changing their reasons for wanting to keep the schools uh, open in the face of uh, the, the wave coming and, and the comparative fact of all other major school districts in the country, uh, including in places that far less severe concentrations of the, the virus were also closing down. Um, but in writing this, I was like, you know what? Um, I bet you, and this was inconceivable on Friday, but I wrote it anyways. I bet you where there's a very good chance that because things are moving so fast, they'll close the schools by Monday. And sure enough, they close the schools by Monday. It said the same thing about like uh, uh, Fox News. Someone, a friend was asking like, oh, so, you know, will you be on Kennedy next week? And I'm like, you know what? I'm not so sure that uh, cable news is going to look the same next week. And in the moment of saying these things, which are predictions that are about 72 hours out, it seems like, no, I mean, they wouldn't stop a show or a primetime run of shows here, but that's how fast things are moving. All of which is to say that mm-hmm. I understand the impulse and I share it depending on, you know, if I'm going to be watching one of those uh, plaintive video uh, spliced together of Italians, you know, talking about what we should have done kind of thing. Um, I, uh, seriously. <laughs> not be uh, Italian. Not be Italian. <laughs> that's the, that's the first thing you do. <laughs> Big problem. Uh, but uh, no, like like it's uh, uh, Andrew Cuomo said today and we're recording this on uh, Monday. Um, he said this afternoon, like, yeah, we're going to be our our capacity is going to be overwhelmed this week, more or less. Uh, and so faced with that, I get why you would want to start ratcheting up your panic to the level where the president of the United States, uh, who at various times has been kind of overconfident in talking about his administration's approach or, you know, the ability to bit. conquer yeah. this. And yeah, I'm, I'm obviously underplaying this a little bit um, uh, today he said, like, uh, don't go I won't hang out with more than 10 people. Just don't do it. Uh, And we'll do this for 15 days, but it might last till July and and August. I get it. Um, But I think you're right in uh, Camille in that the trade-off question hasn't been answered, uh, hasn't been really addressed that much. And literally we're talking like 80% of all people who work in bars and restaurants and hospitality and conferences and, and all this kind of stuff, they don't have work tomorrow. And they don't know what the hell was going on. And And that's a weird, that's going to have a weird bunch of impacts. Absolutely. And given the current approach, it sounds like they may not have work two months from now, three months from now, four months from now, given the actual level of destruction that we've reached with this particular malady. It's not obvious to me what normal looks like, what is sufficiently safe for us to try to resume our lives as they were. Because as we're seeing with China, which is just now beginning to get back to work, it is entirely possible that they start to see cases start to go up again as people start to move around. And at what point do they have to clamp down and try to to contain this thing again, since that is perhaps one of the only approaches that that folks seem to be willing to tolerate Mm. Um, that that may or may not be the best approach here. And it certainly doesn't seem like the only approach here. Um, but perhaps it is the best approach. But it, but I think there's a there's a sophistication um, and a certain sort of dialogue that I would really like to see take place um, that doesn't seem to be happening. Um, instead, it's you know the presumption of the worst imaginable thing um, and the presumption that the 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 most dramatic 
compromise that we could make economically, which is the one that we're making right now to stop everything, stop everything immediately, um, is the only one that is sane and reasonable. And maybe it is. Maybe, yeah. maybe it is. I think we'll have to see how things play out. But there, there are some indications. I saw um, Ron Bailey's piece today. Um, I think it was from today, Matt, um, about a study that suggested that perhaps the warmer weather might actually um, slow this down. Um, I know there have been some other studies that suggested otherwise. Again, there's a lot that we don't know. Um, and I could certainly imagine that there is a super bug that is sufficiently bad um, and sufficiently dangerous that this is the only way to deal with it. But it's I don't know if this is the if this is the only one. I mean, at a minimum, it seems appropriate to always be curious about these kinds of things and to, for there to be some tolerance for thoughtful conversations about this. But this has gone pretty pear shaped pretty quickly in in ways that I know have would have made us all um, pretty concerned. Yeah. Uh, one thing that I wanted to talk to you guys about, um, it, because I missed the conversation yesterday, was the like your current state of mind and your feeling in the city, which mm. is now apparently in some sort of lockdown state. Um, I didn't know what kind of lockdown was coming, but it seemed inevitable that one might come, which is why I absconded with my family and came here to the secret um, Southern compound. <laughs> not, <laughs> where I'm dude, hold up, dude, where I'm, I'm hold up with food and all kinds of other just stuff. So you know, not That's believing. fine. I'm just, I'm not going to reinforce it is all I'm saying. Um, so I've, I've decided to come here because I figured if I'm going to ride this out, you know, it's better to have five or six times the square footage and better to have four or five fridges as opposed to one. Mm -hmm. Not because I'm so concerned that the zombie apocalypse is coming but more in sort of a, a dawn of the dead kind of way. I'm, the zombies are easy to deal with. Like, you know what they do. You hit them in the head and you kill them. It's everybody else. I do not know what sort of pandemonium is likely to come two months from now when folks find themselves in a slightly more uncomfortable situation. And I would prefer to be at a place where I've got the high ground. So just to be clear, Camille, you're preaching, let's not panic. Uh, let's not make rash decisions when it comes to kind of uh -huh. macro health policy. But as a person, yeah. you are absolutely fleeing to your compound with a bunch of meat freezers <laughs> and as much ammunition as you yes. can and pointing <laughs> downwards, looking through your scope rifle in case the pores are crawling up the, yeah. uh, the, the berm uh, headed yeah. in your direction. Is that, is that Camille, how many poor people did can you I, shoot can today? Can I help? Like just an None. average. Give me, like no a, give me a rough number. Non-aggression, <laughs> non-aggression axiom. I'm not shooting anybody. Non-aggression principle. Excuse me. Some people prefer that. Um, no, look, I could defend this. I could defend this. It's totally reasonable and consistent. <laughs> I am not over. I am not overreacting to the virus. I am taking appropriate precautions. I am sort of sequestering and staying inside and avoiding people and doing the social distancing. I think that's totally prudent and appropriate. Um, and I'm not overreacting to the risk of people acting insane. I think there is a prudent and very comfortable compromise. I didn't know how long I might be stuck in New York. And to the extent this goes on for two or three months, I much prefer to have some room to stretch out. Um, and I also prefer to be in a place where I have firearms. You should you should hope for the best, <laughs> prepare as if the worst might happen, and yeah. always be thoughtful and reasonable. But yeah, I don't trust a lot of y'all. 
I don't trust a lot of y'all to be M- thoughtful of the people and reasonable. That I and I, by y'all, uh, I don't mean are, the listeners, but you know, white people. <laughs> white people. I think. Okay. I think. By the way, I think. By the way, most people are preparing for a lack, a, 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 a real lack of oat milk, whereas you're uh, arming <laughs> toilet, yourself. Toilet paper. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, well it's, it's funny. Again, dude, it, I want I want to have the I want to be I want to be in a superior position. I both have oat milk and ammunition. Look at that. So I feel like I'm in a very good place. But what happened? Oh, what what I feel if like I'm in a very good place? Camille, what if Moynihan infected you, right? Yeah. And so you were just sitting in your compound, <laughs> infecting Dying. your entire family and the bears. Well, as as we as we've discussed, uh, we would likely recover. Um, So that's the first thing. Um, But, yeah, there are bears out here. And that is a little bit of a concern. Just shoot them. But, you know, I've got the I've got the Rhodesian Ridge back here as well. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. They they used to use those to hunt lions. Mine is uh, a half breed or something like that. And whatever it is, he's not nearly as good at fighting. But Steve should I should be able to push him (laughs) in the direction of the bear and run, which is what I would do. Um, <laughs> so to answer well, your question, way, to, to, yeah, yeah, to answer, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, uh, no, uh, like uh, I, I feel much more panic in uh, looking at Twitter and reading the uh, the work Slack. Uh, I've made the mistake of starting the coronavirus channel on the uh, Reason Slack. Oh my gosh, last week. Man. Well, I mean, it's because of the there's always one. The conversation overwhelms everything else. Um, and it's pretty easy to get uh, like bummed out and to see graphs and to go, oh my God, we're going to we're going to do the Italy more than we're going to do the South Korea. And look, it's the log scale. And I'm not going to pretend I know what that means. So uh, but then when I go outside and and actually go places and I even had to go to place today, as I mentioned before, with like, the damn mask on just because they asked me to uh, have one. Mostly because Moynihan, they're like, you know him, uh, you know, put on that the boy in the bubble suit, please, uh, before you walk in. Um, but um, no, just walking around the neighborhood and talking to people, and my God, people are so good. Uh, you know, I live in a nice neighborhood in uh, in South Brooklyn. It's very uh, lots of shops and cobblestones and people out in their stoops uh, talking smack, and um, and people are like out there for each other. When we went to. And uh, got some pickup food from the Greek place around the corner, which is really great. Just knowing that they don't know what the hell's going on. Uh, I mean, we have enough. Why is this is funny? Is this funny? Uh, what? Do you, why? Why is everybody gone? Why do they, they come to get the juice usually, but they're not here now? What happened? I don't listen to news. So you tell me, Mister Newsman, tell me why the people are gone. I don't know what the Coronas is. Who's the Coronas? Uh, <laughs> did you get a Did you get a gyro? Uh, I got a souvlaki uh, platter. <laughs> Thank you very much. No, it's a it's a place run by people who, if there's any accent at all, it's a, it's a Mexican or something in the kitchen, as in every single uh, you know restaurant yeah. in all of the world, but especially New York and in Los Angeles. But uh, uh, no, and and you know they don't know if they're going to be open tomorrow, and they're super bummed and they're great, but they like you could they really care about the neighborhood, the local wine store. It's like, okay, uh, we've we've uh, shortened our hours, but we're going to be doing deliveries to anybody who wants. And uh, and the guys and, you know, we can only have five people out, uh, five people in the store at a time. So they asked me to, to wait uh, until, you know, enough people came out. Um, but like you could get the sense of like the people are absolutely trying to rally together in a super neighborhoody neighborhood. Um, and it like makes you feel good. Like uh, the best of humanity is out there. Um, I hope that that. Uh, sense of humanity 
doesn't get choked off in the coming like you can't do anything uh, shutdown time. And uh, yeah. and I think uh, pursuant to Camille's point, I probably err on the side of, hey, I, I'm not as upset by the shutdown orders just because I've been so so like freaked out at the curves of these things happening uh, and some of the more alarmist projections about what happens to ICUs and, you know, doing triage on. I just read there's a piece in The Atlantic. Franklin Ford did an interview with a, a doctor in Boston. And uh, and one of the things that the doctor said is like, yeah, pretty soon we're just going to be uh, telling our you know diabetic patients that they can't get care. And I'm like, I think mm-hmm. I know a diabetic patient. That would suck. Yeah. Um, uh, so like thinking about that, I, I, I don't get that concerned. But uh, we went from Friday, uh, should we keep the schools open? Should we not? To on Monday, everything is shut down. And you're literally like the, the words that they use in California, Gavin Newsom, which shelter in place, everyone. Like, yeah. yeah, I don't know if we've really thought this through. What's what's but, going to happen to the sense of community? That's total nonsense, too, of the shelter in place. It's that there's a certain truth to it that is go- it goes way too far. I mean, if I walk outside of my building and I go for a run and I run, you know, up and down the East River, am I harming somebody in that way? I mean, I, I get that the social distancing thing and not being jam-packed in an airplane or, you know, in a small uh, space. And as I saw today in Manhattan, what Matt was saying is that there were the same thing I saw was that there were people outside of, of um, stores holding people on the, um, on the sidewalk. And I thought right. like, I went to Whole Foods keep, today them actually. Because, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because yeah. there was no line i just went to check it out um you know it was reasonably well stocked there was a lot of stuff that was totally gone particularly the chocolate and the only thing left is a great way if you're in a company to know which products of yours are totally shitty is that you went in there's a huge pile of pink grapefruit flavored chocolate and I was like, oh, I guess nobody's buying that um, so that company should shut that line down right away um it's but, all the you know, low sodium stuff the the, yeah, the, the low well, yeah. calorie syrup which is the only I, thing on the shelves just where you are yeah (laughs) it's the only thing not in the shelves where i am (laughs) by the way my my theories about that we talked about this yesterday uh which you didn't hear was about um the 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 fact that um there are no shortages at grocery stores just in the ones that like blue checkmark people go to that was kind of turned out to be true in uh, in the sense that i saw um number one bloomberg did a piece on this where they went to like, you know, the C-Town grocery stores and, and you know, ShopRite or whatever the hell it is, and they were all totally fine. And then they went to the ones, like in Dumbo, the specialty ones, and they were totally uh, gone. But in the New York Times, they had, and I think it might have been just in New York, I don't remember, but it was the massive increase in uh, buying of particular products. And I think number one was like rice, and number three was actually oat milk. And that's no! like, that's all. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's, I, it's in New York times this oat milk chart. I don't know if it was the U S or if it was just New York city or wh- whatever, but, but, um, but yeah, to the point is that I, I did notice a lot of people were smiling at me today and like being like really nice and polite and everybody in the doctor's office was, was really, really nice and, 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 and lovely, but because um, they think you're you know, going to die. Well, they, they know that, that I'm the last person they're ever going to see before they die. 
<laughs> might as well smile at me before they keel over. But, um, you know, the thing that the, the, the panicking stuff is like, look, if you it, we talk so much about low information voters and how people just have to turn on Fox News and and they'll they'll anything they're told, they'll sort of like be kind of robots and believe it and, and you know, march to the orders of Lou Dobbs or whatever. And if you believe that to be true and then you tell people that, you know, this massive information about coronavirus, which is all over the map, you know, and it's not fine. It's like it is like Boris Johnson's approach is very different than, say, Spain's approach, which is shut everything down. Curfews. The police were out telling people to get off the streets last night. Um, so these are very different approaches. And there's a lot of different information. This is not malicious. This is not people who are conspiracy theorists. This is people who are wondering because they don't see a number of deaths around them. They say, oh, isn't this kind of affecting old people and kids are kind of immune from it? So what's the big deal is that, you know, people who you say, like, everybody's a low information voter is like, you can imagine and don't scorn them for being confused about this stuff, which is what Twitter in the mm -hmm. blue checkmark assholes are all doing now of like, mm -hmm. treating these people like vaccine deniers. It's like, this is all very new people. And we're trying to get a handle on what it is and what it means. And so allow people a little slack to ask some questions or be slightly skeptical. I would really not recommend anybody, particularly like one of us three, to go on Twitter and say like, hey, I don't know, does this really that big of a deal a question with a question mark at the end of it and people lose their minds and be like what are you talking about are you a denier and you know and the, but but the thing about it i think one of the the most interesting aspects of this and matt and i did not talk about this yesterday we talked a bit about the kind of Trish Regan idiocy. And I know Mads really, oh, really upset about her being off the air because he can't, he can't drive uh, <laughs> really his news now. It's true. Particularly his financial news. Yeah. Um, yes. Uh, oof, without her, we she's, are nothing. She's it reminds she's me of really the day bad. that Hitchens died, actually. <laughs> she's really bad. But, uh, but one of the things that we didn't talk about was the other end of this, was that if you look at the Twitter feeds of people like AOC, and, and, you know, I was reminded of Naomi Klein's book, um, uh, The Shock Doctrine, which is silly premise, which was wonderfully, you know, debunked by Johan Norberg, the Swedish uh, writer, economist, etc. Um, and the, the general premise was that, like, uh, disaster capitalism. Yeah. Right? So Katrina happens and, you know, the all the mean people come in and they sh set up sh charter schools because they're just waiting for disasters so they can actually implement their mustache twisting policies. There is a version of that right now. And and by the way, people do do that, but they do that because they believe in their ideas and they want the schools to be better. And they say, hey, this is what I would do. There's nothing wrong with that. But there is a version of that now that is is a sort of disaster socialism. Right. I mean, if you look at the the things that a lot of the very kind of political and I would say you know, fringy, it's not even fringy anymore, but like sort of more radical elements um, on the left in particular of saying, like, this is what needs to happen now. And Camille and I had spoken about this earlier is that. I mean, how much of this stuff, and we can talk specifics about what they might be, but how much of this stuff is going to persist, like after 9-11, mm -hmm. that we're going to have these policies in place that encroach on civil liberties or kind of fundamentally alter a relationship with government, whatever it might be? How much of this stuff is going to hang around and are people using this disaster and tragedy? And I think it is actually, I'm, I'm much, you know, more 
kind of gloomy about this than, than Camille is. But, um, you know, how much of this is, is going to stick around? And I have a couple of things. I don't know. Has anyone else noticed that? Of like the rhetoric is like, this is what we need is to give everybody $25,000. I mean, what, what, what's his name? Uh, um, <laughs> uh, Mehdi Hassan. Yeah. said, mm-hmm. you know, uh, Mitt Romney said, you know, $1,000. He was his angry Andrew Yang impression today. And he said, no, it's got to be at the least $10,000. And it's, it's like, insane. wait, what? It's yeah. insane. Yeah. It's like, it's like a, it, that's like $300 trillion. Let's start by getting rid of the payroll tax. Let's let's bail out the airline industry, $50 billion. Again, I mean, I thought we bailed them out in 2008. <laughs> I remember that wrong. Um, no, the I think what we will see, the most likely lasting impact um, uh, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around in the in in ways that are similar to the financial crisis in 9/11, which I think are the two antecedents worth thinking about and uh, and like mapping and worrying about to some degree. Um, and it, you know, it provokes a lot of the same kind of uh, emotions as Michael and I were talking about uh, yesterday. But um, is uh, so the uh, in the run up to what we have had right now. We've had this sort of bipartisan, very flagrant uh, sense of untethering any any sense of long term fiscal responsibility. Um, You know, it's a stupid uh, factlet that I have cited too many times. But in every state of the union address between 1997 and 2013, 17 consecutive of these ones, um, there was some mention of like, well, we have to reform entitlements and put us on a more sustainable long term fiscal future. Some variant of that, Clinton, Bush, Obama until 2013, 2014, that stops. It hasn't come back. It's not part of politics anymore. And so Republicans, you know, they've spent uh, they've increased spending a lot more under unified Republican rule in Congress starting in 2015 and then under Republican president than they did under the last uh, for most of the Obama administration. And uh, when you lose that, what's going to happen when suddenly you wake up in the morning and you have all of these calls? And right now they're bipartisan. I mean, turn, I was trying to actually watch uh, cable news tonight and I had uh, MSNBC on and, and Chris Hayes was talking to Ro Khanna, uh, who's a mostly uh, clownish uh, congressman, I believe, from the Bay Area, California. Mm. Um, and yeah. he had one of these like give three thousand dollars. He want like six thousand, six thousand a month yeah, or something yeah, like that. A huge or at least amount it goes up to that. And I like ah, I'm tired of hearing <laughs> 6, these thousand a month. It was a huge. It goes up to six thousand a month. It's like need dependent. And I went back. Okay, mm. okay. I went so went to CNN, and they had some other guy talking about some other similar thing. And they're both citing Andrew Yang. There's going to be no break, no meaningful break at all on giving everybody all of the money. There's going to be bailouts for industry. There's going to be liquidity for whatever the the Federal Reserve can do. And there's not a hell of a lot it can do anymore, Um, but they're going to do all of that. Uh, We'll probably go to negative interest rates sooner rather than later. uh, And they're going to spend all of the money that is going to be with us because you already you you walked in here at the end of a 10 year boom. Uh, uh, economic expansion and bull market in stock market, you walked into that with trillion dollar deficits uh, and nothing done about long term fiscal uh, sobriety, which is one of the most flagrantly irresponsible things imaginable. And you also sort of removed the break on this. So what's going to last is uh, the uh, massive, absolutely massive, as Joe Biden said of the debate on Sunday night, major, major, major bailout, <laughs> um, three majors. Um, uh, that's going to be with this we're going to be paying that back out and we're also going to be pushing on a string i believe both financially and and fiscally in terms of using that money trying to like revive uh do a dead cat bounce on the economy um and and, and 
That's what I worry about more than, uh, and maybe this is because I lack the imagination to understand how the new magic wand, everything's closed, uh, power will translate five years from now in a different uh, circumstance or setting. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing I'll say about that is that when Camille was was, you know, brought this up is that the the fiscal shocks of this and the economic shocks that we're going to see, not even just in America, but just globally, it's going to be disastrous in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. can be managed. And, and, and there's a lot of interesting ideas of how to do that, but it's going to be very, very difficult. But when we talk about, I think, in the talking points that we hear in this campaign, particularly when, when it comes to kind of the Bernie, the, the in, in initial uh, group of Democratic candidates and everyone was running, seeing how far left they, they could run to catch up with Bernie. And the idea of this was always the same, is that increasing wage inequality is dangerous and it's violent and it's there to have the people who die because of this. In, but when in this context, if you talk about the economic factors when you're closing everything down and should we be doing this? And for instance, what that is doing is I talked to someone and I mentioned this to Camille earlier that a um, friend of mine um, who is who lost their job uh, today and they work in, you know, an hourly wage and um, their hours had been cut. And I said, you know, you're going to might, might lose your job entirely. And it happened today. So that person is unemployed. And of course, a payroll tax cut is not going to do anything to help that person at all. Right. So, but if you come out there and start talking about this stuff, particularly if you did this on Twitter for all the, you know, the guardians of, of righteous conversation, because you can, you know, if you, if you trespass the boundaries, you're going to be shouted down and say, you cannot talk about that. You are some sort of horrible denier is that if you talk about like, maybe it is slightly aggressive to do X or Y. And I don't know that I believe this. I'm just, you know, even floating the idea seems, seems sort of dangerous now and you'll be, you'll be yelled at for doing so, is that, you know, you're, you're effectively making poorer people poorer because the people that this is hitting hardest are not people who are on salaries that who continue to get their salaries. And those big companies will, will get, will, you know, find their bailouts in whatever way they can. And, you know, I, I still keep getting paid. You still keep getting paid, Matt. Um, um, you know, we're, we're all in this situation, but the hourly workers and the people that were kind of on the front lines while this stuff was unfolding, were still going to work and taking precautions. And I saw a story um, on Slate tonight about a restaurant closing and they were talking about the last days when they were, you know, um, only allowing half capacity and they were scrubbing everything and just, just disinfecting everything all the time. And these people are out there doing this. And then now all of a sudden they don't have a job at all. And to mention that to, or to even float the possibility that like, should we be doing that across the board? Is there a smarter way of doing it is not, um, a stupid question. It seems completely, you know, in line with the way that we've been talking about poverty and wealth inequality in the past year. And I'm surprised that that uh, that has changed. Now, the, what I was saying before is that the quick the quick point is that, you know, this is an opportunity for a lot of people to say, oh, my God, OK, now this is what we should do. The government should get involved and they should give everybody everything they should, that money doesn't money is not even real. Right. We can just print, 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 you know, quantitative easing, et cetera. <laughs> like this is what's what's happening. Like, you know, when Mehdi Hassan very seriously, who's on MSNBC a lot and I probably couldn't. I don't know if he'll take Chris Matthews spot. He'd be a very good choice to do it. He's a very good debater. But um, when he's saying ten thousand dollars a person. You know, good God, that is just, there's no such, those are people that don't even believe that fiscal responsibility is a real thing. 
That's just, yeah. you know, a fantasy world. And, and, I and think before someone going, comes for you, I think, I think you may have actually said $10,000 per adult, but still. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, either either way, it was insane. Um, and I yeah. didn't have to quote the specifics of the policy because there was no specific policy. It was a <laughs> mouthing off on Twitter. It wasn't like a, a 300-page bill. Um, but yeah, anyway, I mean, you get the point that I'm making is that is that I see that who this is affecting, and it's it's really um, it's really troubling. And um, I think the response to this will be, you know, government has to get involved here, and they have mm-hmm. to do the right thing. Um, but I think that there's a lot of people looking at the kind of long game of like how much i mean like uh, aoc tonight was like we need new deal policies not take the mm-hmm. green off she said tonight. new deal policies think about 1933 and you know whether or not you love or hate the new deal and we have a wide variety of listeners of different ideological backgrounds and so probably there's people that are on both sides of this um and there's you know a lot of things within the new deal that are good and bad but um the idea that that's i understand why one want to do that if you're aoc because think about the new deal policies that were successful and were actually not knocked down by the supreme court a number number of them were um they're with us today right Mm -hmm. and that was and that's something that this is an opportunity that i think a lot of people are not going to want to miss to to sort of transform and say hey look at what happened this is what happened and we need to make sure that this doesn't happen again i mean the 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 good the good and the bad the good and the bad policies are still with us we we still have uh the the social security um tax uh um not social security but the uh the payroll tax laws related to um, health insurance as a consequence of the prohibitions and restrictions that were placed on employers during World War II. Um, and, and there's no shortage of bad policies that were dreamt up during the Great Depression New Deal era. The fact that you can have people waiting in bread lines and the federal government can be instituting a policy simultaneous with that, instituting a policy of purchasing and destroying foodstuffs en masse. It is mm-hmm. absolutely insane. And it is totally the kind of policy that you would expect to be created in response to um, a a panic in a genuine emergency. You can have a genuine emergency and still and have emergency policy and still have that policy be really, really bad, terribly inconceived, rife with all sorts of special interest benefits um, and completely ineffectual at remedying a problem, even if the problem eventually ends. Uh, and, yeah. and I think that that's very much the danger that we run into here. And what one of the things that I find, again, it's not shocking, but it's probably the most galling is once it becomes a do something, anything situation, you almost they, they forget who's in power, that it's not one of their guys. Um, and that moments ago, they didn't trust this person who is now becoming super empowered. Um, mm. uh, I don't there are so many people who were gravely concerned about tyranny only moments ago, um, who are now prepared to put the federal government in charge of just about everything um, and are effectively bypassing in many instances, I think, the existing infrastructure that exists to deal with things like unemployed people. We do have unemployment insurance. If you lose your job during this, that continues to function and you can actually apply for and obtain those benefits in many instances. Should we look at extending those benefits further? Should we look at broadening the category of people who would be eligible for them? Perhaps we could have those conversations, but it certainly doesn't seem reasonable to me to lurch from the current circumstance where we, we people have only just begun to lose their jobs from that circumstance to, oh my God, give everyone a thousand dollars a month 
for the duration of this emergency? How long will this emergency last? Will the criteria change in some way so that the emergency can be stretched out indefinitely? Perhaps it just becomes a permanent uh, baseline. Um, although AOC expresses some concerns about that, not because she's worried about the the state being extended in in particular ways, but because there are too many restrictions um, on like an Andrew Yang style uh, UBI because it it is diminished based on the different benefits that you're getting. Um, mm. it, it's it's nuts. I think it it is very very difficult to imagine much in the way of good policy being forged in an environment like this even that um the current corona um relief bill that is winding its way through the congress which has passed the house and is now in the senate where they're trying to push more and more um money into it uh it just seems like there's a lot of bad ideas there there's uh um, yeah i mean in that go ahead, in Matt, that sorry. bill uh from what i understand and i might uh shade it slightly wrong but um has to do with uh, some kind of uh, unemployment insurance or or a, a, a regulation that they're making um, most companies adopt uh, towards their employees, but they passed an exemption for something like either Fortune 500 companies or companies over 500 employees. At any rate, a huge, huge number. So yeah, the, yeah. they're the ones who are exempt, the ones who can most afford this uh, new regulation pass on the fly. And it reminds me very much of the um, post 9-11 emergency. We got to create the TSA bill, yet uh, people were not so hurried that they couldn't haggle over and eventually win, in this case, a Democratic uh, idea that we needed to not just have uh, the TSA be created, but we had to make sure that the TSA agents that Camille always asks for the pat down from at the airport <laughs> are... Federal, <laughs> federally unionized employees. Is that why you call him Pat? Yeah, by yeah, the Pat. Way? <laughs> Pat Foster. <laughs> uh, no, like, like they, it was important enough for Democrats to make sure that they were unionized. And my God, like in those in those hours after nine eleven, everyone's walking around crazy, dizzy, and trying to figure anything out. And yet, strangely enough, people still have their strong uh either ideological priors or more likely just sort of interest group uh, uh influences and they'll get that into these bills they will absolutely do that they will do that and it'll last as long as you can possibly imagine and um and once th that congress in many ways uh acts uh it looks for it in in congress people look for beg for there to be must pass bills. That's all they want. They want one must pass mm -hmm. bill a year. Um, th this bill means I like babies. And if you vote against them, you want to kill babies um, that you want to mm -hmm. be on that bill, have one vote, preferably on Christmas Eve, and then that's it. So you're always looking for that opportunity. And so um, people who have all kinds of wish lists that have been sitting around for a thousand years go great. This is the, the must-pass bill. Only a moral monster would uh, be in favor of like uh, even asking that you have 24 hours to read the damn thing before you vote on it, which is like a Justin Amash specialty or whatever. Um, what kind mm -hmm. of terrible, terrible person are you if you if you ask even for that uh, de minimis stuff? And that's exactly when a lobbyists or just people who've had been sitting on a, a, a 
part of a bill that they wanted to write forever will get that in there. I mean, Joe Biden, to name a presidential candidate who's likely to uh, win the nomination and probably likely, I think, to win the the presidency, although who knows how many uh, uh, presidential candidates will be uh, infected by the coronavirus between now and then. Um, But he's someone who bragged serially that – Many of the provisions of the Patriot Act were stuff that he'd been trying to get passed since the 90s. And lo and behold, you were able to get that thing passed after 9-11. Isn't that great? I did all this spade work so that we could sneak it all in afterwards. Um, So uh, it's going to be jerk bags like Camille Foster, like Pat Foster, uh, who are are pointing this out. Pat Foster the jerk bag. Pointing this out in moments of high national agreement. But that's a nice time to disagree. Um, yeah. One final thing on this before we move on is is um, I because because the engagement with our listeners is um, just when that last dispatch uh, last night um, because everyone's home um, yeah. and we're all going through this together we're going to create uh, fun games for all of us to do together but one of them uh, is when we're talking about. Um, uh, the New Deal is, you know, we have a lot of a very, very bright listeners. And I know this because anytime I, you know, cite case law or something, which is not my, which is not my, my, my area, somebody inevitably writes me and says, this is what you got wrong. But uh, so there's a lot of people that will probably know this stuff and know more, but it's really, really interesting, particularly when you hear people like AOC and people often um, invoke the New Deal because of the things that the New Deal did that transformed the American economy and America's relationship, American's relationship with government, you know, there's, there's good stuff in there. I mean, I think the FDIC is a positive thing and, um, it, it is, there's a, there's a great case to be made that the FDIC was, was exactly what America needed in 1933. But the other things is like, you know, look at stuff like the, the Schechter case, the Schechter poultry case, which sounds like, oh my God, are you that, are you kidding me? The Schechter, that sounds the most boring thing. If you know this, this is the Commerce Clause case of, of uh, price and, and wage fixing, um, that the, the, the uh, Roosevelt regime lost and they lost this case. And Louis Brandeis uh, said to, you know, hey, you guys can't do everything. I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something, you can't control everything. And this is actually what, uh, things like this were what uh, provoked the administration to try to pack the Supreme Court with judges that were favorable to, to Roosevelt's policies of the New Deal. I mean, if you think, I mean, we just, this idea that we have of the New Deal, incredibly positive thing, trying to pack the court is if Donald Trump did something like that, there'd be people on the streets, right? And FDR, you know, he's, he's the great hero. Um, so go back and like, look at that stuff and look at it with an, with an open mind. I mean, there's, there's different, uh, Amity Schles wrote a book about it, which is kind of the revisionist uh, book that, that um, the Schechter case is, is a big part of called The Forgotten, the Forgotten Man. Man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's actually this, and and if if you like looking at pretty pictures, I know that there's a graphic novel version of it because I saw it in the bookstore the other yeah. day. Did you know that? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, yeah, I didn't know that. I just I saw it and I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'm not like a graphic novel guy, but but uh, but yeah. So that uh, Amity's uh, book on that is is very very interesting, and um, that she's the smartest person to debate with on that. And I know that there was there was a lot of debate that followed that, but that's a really interesting debate to go back to. And it, maybe I'm presenting it as a, a slightly boring, but but it's not. But um, 
Anyway, I just want I, I told Camus, I just want to say this, um, other things we can get out of the corona, because I think that we need a break from corona. It's driving us all fucking crazy. It's driving me crazy anyway. But uh, when I was coming back from, you know, trying to figure out when I was going to die, um, I had the mask on because they told me to put the mask on. And I was like, you know, it's pretty cold out. It's pretty comfortable. And nobody could, I got sunglasses and a mask on. I was like, I could rob places. <laughs> I could like, you know, put my hand down the front of my pants. People didn't know who it was. Um, and I'm walking down the street and this woman, is a Hasidic woman looks at me and she's like following me. She's probably like 60, 65. And she just looks <laughs> and she goes, Corona. I was like, what? Oh, oh. Corona. And I was like, what? I don't, you got Corona shaped? Yeah, I got Corona shaped. Oh shit. my yeah. God. <laughs> so I'm walking and I'm like, so I, I start recording this, by the way. So I take up my phone. And uh, I know it was like bulky. Um, um, so I'm recording this uh, on my phone. I'm just like, um, I can actually pop the audio in here too. I'm recording my phone and I'm saying, like, this is what's going on. And a woman, another acidic woman, yell something and i turn around and i was like what and she's like where did you get the mask and i was like oh i just went to the doctor and and they gave me the mask on the back she's like my husband needs the mask and like they're going on and i stopped and talked to them and i think it was maybe because i was fully covered like i had like a burqa on and it was like there's something there's some kind of solidarity with like women wearing the wig yeah you know? <laughs> and, and like i have i have his face mask on and this woman i've and i always make a thing about this on the show that they they never talk to me i talked to this one woman this older woman who was so fascinating and um, I, I, I asked her where she was from the rest of it and she said it's so how quickly it comes to this she said, um, where do you live? And I said, a block from here. And she said, are you Jewish? <laughs> and I said, well, and she's like, no, it's not a problem. It's not a problem. <laughs> I was like, really? I was like, yeah, okay. Um, and, and so what is well? I, what is well? I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I'm sympathetic. <laughs> I'm, I'm a righteous Gentile. I am the Oscar Schindler of this block. Um, so let it go, lady. And uh, and uh, so I, I said, you know, where, where were you born? The rest of it. And she said, I was born in Germany. I'm trying to like figure out how old this woman is. And she's <laughs> up there. And I was like, what? And she said, no, I was um, born in a displaced persons camp. Oh. In um, Fourth, I think, in, in Germany. Um, because her parents were in Buchenwald or in Auschwitz. And she was born in this displaced persons camp in Germany. And then they they fled to Ecuador and then from oh, to France to Ecuador and then Ecuador to Canada and then Canada to to New York because their ultra orthodox uh, rabbi, the famous Romanian rabbi Teitelbaum, um, who actually is famous and controversial in a lot of ways, uh, controversial for what, what his activities during the war in Romania too. Um, and we had this amazing conversation and she was telling me this story and I walked away and I said, she, her phone started ringing and I walked away and she said, you know, you know, if you see me out here, cause she's out, she's like, stop and say hello, but you have to tell me who you are. Cause I don't know what you look like. I <laughs> And uh, and it was a nice. It was uh, the mask pr pr provoked one shout and one conversation with uh, my Hasidic neighbors who typically don't talk. Did to you me. So, uh, tell yeah. her to listen to the fifth column? And that'd be, be she already listens. Yeah, to okay, it. yeah. <laughs> She's a patron. She likes Camille the best, uh, doesn't she? 
Yeah, she's a out of the shtetl uh, level uh, contributor, which is uh, three hundred shekels a month. I'm very surprised that she carried on a conversation with you and and even suggested that she might be interested in further conversations because a, a yeah. woman is not supposed to be having this kind of protracted exchange with a man unsupervised well, who's not her husband. I don't unless know. he's there to watch. I don't Isn't know. That right? Yeah, well, yes, yeah. I don't know if uh, we have two. Um, Hasidic listeners uh, that I know of. Uh, okay. I don't know if they're if they're um, Patreon listeners, and if that is the case, I I know that one of them will will email because there's one guy who I love, and um, I don't even know if I've written him back to so many emails, but um, I love his emails. They're they're great, and uh, he's like, hey, I'm one of your probably few Hasidic uh, uh, listeners, and he's like. Like the he's like the Hasidic Hayekian or something. I'm <laughs> making up his Twitter handle. That's, that's pretty good though. <laughs> Change your Twitter handle, dude. Um, Change but, it. But uh, so Matt, you tweeted this uh, earlier. Yeah, t- I, you ch- I'm going to change mine right now. Um, Matt, you tweeted this earlier. The Ken Burns thing that uh, Ken Burns got PBS yeah, to. Uh, uh, he, yeah, he just, uh, like, uh, and maybe he was planning to do this all along, and and Lord knows I'm no, not a huge Ken Burns fan for a lot of reasons, so I totally appreciate uh, the scope of his accomplishments and art. Uh, he's, because he's so talented, it's okay to not like him or something like that, uh, or to resent him. Uh, maybe it's the hair. But anyways, he, uh, he said, hey, look, everyone's home, uh, and there's no sports. Uh, which is the thing that I think uh, another thing that we haven't really thought about, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, there's eighty percent of the of a lot of people are going to be out out of work beginning tomorrow, and we can wrap our heads around it. But like, uh, even tonight, I was like, oh, okay, well, all right, it's a school night, and the kids go to bed soon, and if I didn't have to talk to you jackasses, I might like wind down by uh, just sort of flipping on what's on ESPN. I'm like, oh no, no, there's nothing ever again on ESPN. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. what uh, Ken Burns has done <laughs> is. Uh, uh, is he's put the entire uh, baseball documentary, of which I still don't think I've seen the whole thing because it's a trillion hours long, uh, but they've put it yeah. on uh, for free online. You can stream it uh, and it's great. And uh, did, I, did I ever tell you Moynihan or Camille or even on or fifth column listeners about my experience with the 70s episode of this? This is why I don't smoke pot. Did I ever mention this? No, no, but I don't sounds, think so. Oh dear God! Sounds, I'll I'll try to make it short. I, think I know where this is going. I'll try to make this short, <laughs> oh, but boy. like, I go. Uh, uh, there's this uh, super nerdy guy whose name I won't uh, mention, but uh, who I'd known in, in Prague a little bit. And this is back when I lived in Budapest, and so I'm at a friend's house in Budapest, and I have like I. You know, I've, I was a stoner for exactly three weeks in like 1987, but beyond that, I've just like, it's, I'm not good at that, that drug and I don't uh, use it. Uh, and so I happened to be in Budapest and a friend's like, you know, uh, Hey, I got this, uh, I got some Ken Burns, uh, uh, you know, baseball, uh, documentary. We were starved for baseball out there. Um, and not only that, but it was the seventies. So I knew there's gonna be a lot of Pete Rose and like Joe Morgan yeah. and the 1975 World Series, just afros out to here <laughs> and dudes with handlebar mustaches and smoking and cocaine. Like there's no way I'm not going to want every last bit of this. And so I thought like, okay, this is, I will, I will break my usual uh rule against prohibition against smoke a pot and i'm going to lean into some weed and watch some awesome 70s baseball you know with howard cosell i mean it's going to be perfect and so this nerdy guy who's also with us who had always i'd always kind of looked down on because he's hey how you doing i i've always appreciated your work man i am this kind of guy 
Uh, and this is <laughs> terrible. Don't don't make fun of people like that. Uh, you know what? Uh, we know lots of them. Not not only that, but uh, you're about to hate me when I describe what this guy revealed. Uh, who I don't I'd sort of known peripherally for a long time, but never really kind of hung out and talked with. And you're a little stoned, and you kind of get chatty. And it turns out he speaks 13 languages. Okay, maybe I was underestimating him. Uh, he's a serial entrepreneur, kind of like Camille. Show off. Um, uh, done this and done that, and among other things. Um, and he didn't look the part at all, had been a tank battalion commander in the Iraq war. <laughs> Proceeds to tell me, and I'm sitting there, I just want to see Pete Rose kill Ray Fossey, right? I was just like, I was super happy to go there. He sits there and he tells me about one of the worst friendly fire incidents that happened during the Gulf War, which was his fault. Um, like a oh. sandstorm, the tanks got into a circle, there was confusion, open fire and tears are streaming down his eyes as he's telling me the story. And I'm just, and I'm, and I'm selfishly thinking like, Jesus Christ, this is why I don't get stoned. <laughs> People yeah. come out of the blue who are super or so much smarter than I ever, uh, ever could think about being who I've underestimated my entire life. If I've known them at all. And then they tell me about this absolutely heartrending, heartbreaking story. And, and like the haunting that comes with it afterwards and the, and the, and the self doubt. So yeah, yeah. I can't watch the Ken Burr. A show, did, did you think he was making it up? No, not at all. He just there wasn't really? there wasn't one drop of him uh, that was like that. And and he and he wasn't a, an oversharer, and he was always a super competent guy. And it just like it uh, it came out that way. Uh, and I realized it's not a very fun um, story. It's uh, it's heartbreaking, but I, it's a reminder to never <laughs> think that you're even halfway above anybody on any level at all. And also, don't get stoned even when you're watching the awesome Ken Burns uh, documentary. But it it is uh, to a reminder that we're going to need shit like this. Lots of it. Not yeah. the heartbreaking yeah. friendly fire episodes necessarily, but like uh, I think that was a real turn in the story. I thought there was going to be like a Willie McCovey. Yeah, uh, sorry appearance. about that. Uh, but uh, no, I think last night uh, I was curveball. I was uh, <laughs> I was sitting around and uh, I, I was trying to think I was thinking I've maybe even provoked by the Ken Burns uh, doing the uh, making all this baseball stuff for free. And it's a great documentary. If you don't have to like baseball, it's like they'll, they'll take each uh, decade as uh, as a segment. And it's just it, there's too much Doris Kearns Goodwin. There's too much. Oh, the Brooklyn Dodgers left. Don't I'm bummed out. I know. I know. She's like your mom or whatever. Yeah. But uh, yeah. uh, the, but it reminded me like we <laughs> we have this gap out there. She is your mom. Uh, we have this. Stop laughing, Pat. <laughs> we have this gap in our sports needs. And so uh, I volunteered. I went looking for my, the favorite, my favorite ever NFL game, which was a playoff game in, I think, 1982 between Air Coriel, the San Diego Chargers, uh, back when they were super awesome and fun to watch, uh, playing the Miami Dolphins. It's like a 41 to 38 overtime game. And I found an entire YouTube running of it. And I started watching it. And it was just as awesome as I remembered. Uh, so follow me on Twitter, tag me on it. If you can find a complete game, not just like a six minute highlight package, but like, you know, the, some people have put out the uh, 2016 NCAA championship, which I don't even remember, but apparently it was a great game. Um, whatever is a full complete game that you remember watching in any sport. So Camille, the, the one sport that you watch, you, you know, you can uh, put that there and the non Dave Matthews concert sport um, and, uh, and uh, get it up there because people need to sit down and watch this, preferably smoke a lot of pot and uh, don't be involved in uh, friend friendly fire incidents. If anyone, this is uh, a request that nobody will be able to fulfill. The amazing thing is that if you say anything to our listeners, they always can fulfill it. This is um, 
uh, one that I, I just absolutely, n- no way. Uh, December 1979, the Bruins, the Boston Bruins were playing uh, in Madison Square Garden against the Rangers. And we all know there's a bit of it that we can see. I want to see the whole game for some reason. Um, that um, there's a, a Phil Esposito was on the Rangers at the time. He had been there's a long there's a long backstory to this. And there's a Mike Milbury who was later the Bruins coach uh, that started this whole thing. Um, he hit a fan, a Rangers fan, with a shoe uh, in, in this really weird uh, thing. Uh, but the Bruins all went over the glass and started beating the tar out of guys with mustaches and like long hairs and flares. And it's the best thing I've ever seen in my life. So if you watch this and it's like, I, it's, I sometimes look and see if there's like a higher resolution version on YouTube and it's like, Oh, it's like four, 480 uh, P versus the uh, previous one. I want like a crisp HD because these guys, this whole team goes into the like in the the best thing is that Stan Jonathan is in it and Stan Jonathan who is the uh, I remember my uh, a teacher of mine who was a hockey fan and a Boston is like making the joke that that we clearly got Stan Jonathan for like a ha- uh, uh, a half a bucket of pucks and I was like yeah, I think that's maybe even a bit too much not a great hockey player but a great fighter there's also a bunch of great Stan Jonathan fights on uh, one of my favorites too on uh, YouTube, um, which I watch with my brother. We send them to each other, like best hockey fights. But the one where they go into the stands, I want to see that whole game because the whole game is this tense rising. And, and Terry O'Reilly, who is the great, is this is back in the day when like mix like Terry O'Reilly, like played sports as opposed to like, you know, just cops. dug holes. Yeah. Yeah. And like smoked, like smoked unfiltered cigarettes and like, you know, made $800,000 a year with their union job. <laughs> this is the, like Terry, Terry O'Reilly was, is like this ginger scumbag. Um, and who was not the enforcer, but he was a, he was a bruiser and he got in a lot of fights out here. But I, if anyone can find that full game, I mean, there's no, like, the only reason I say that is there might be somebody who's like, actually, I work at ESPN and I got nothing to do and uh, I'll pull it out of the archives for you. But I love old hockey games because there's always like, there's always like one guy who's like one guy wearing a helmet. And then there's always the ones where you get to the years where there's one guy who's not wearing a helmet. Yeah. <laughs> and it's the guy who has like half of his head removed and looks like he got, you know, shot with a sniper's rifle in World War One. But always smiling. Like one, one tooth. Yeah, it's amazing. So, yeah. If, so this is the great thing to, to Matt's point is that we have no sports. So let's let's pretend that it's no longer 2020 and let's go back to when sports were more fun. And when, when they didn't turn the camera away when someone ran on the field or, and they, they zoomed in when, when players got in fights. Yeah. When Morgana, <laughs> the kissing bandit was coming out and like making out oh, with, yeah. with Mark, the bird Fidrich. Let's. Uh... Yeah. Oh my God. The bird from uh, the, t- the time. Actually, yeah. you know what? That... Who ended up, I, oh, I saw a pitch by the way, cause he played in the Cape Cod league when he was like 50. Oh my God. That's great. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's an entire game that you can see already and I don't, I haven't even put it on there, but I remember uh, someone else had put it up on YouTube. It was a uh, game of Camille is cleaning his guns. Yeah, it's fine. It's like, he's just cocky. He's pointing them at the camera, but thankfully the, the video has been disabled. Uh, <laughs> you, you would hear it if I was cleaning my guns. That's true. Uh, he, it sounds, it sounds a little bit like this. You know, uh, I'm cocking it back oh, and geez. lock it in and do the whole thing. I should have been doing that the whole time you were talking. 
That's not wrong. No, I mean you should get that and get Coleman Hughes to like just to rap over it a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> just do it. It's just a different kind of rap, Matt. That's not really no. Coleman's things. It does it doesn't involve guns. I've I've looked more odd, odd future and Earl sweatshirt as opposed just, to NWA. I, I, I know it I'm all sounds saying, the same to you, and they all, all look alike, but. Put yeah, it all together. <laughs> Matt's really into the SoundCloud stuff. Thank you. <laughs> I remember I sent him a link to a file that I posted on SoundCloud. He's like, I don't know how to do this. I was just start clicking. It'll start playing. That's not, yeah, I, and then I a week later, a and then a week later, Matt Matt had a whole uh, his archive on SoundCloud. Oh, that's right. Should we direct really? people there, Matt? Uh, no, <laughs> you can find it on my Twitter feed if you need to. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, but uh, yeah. I, I've got like a bunch of old uh, crappy songs from like the four track days yeah, in the right. 90s. That's right. They're, that's right. they're not crappy. Some of them are pretty great. <laughs> that, by the way, did not sound convincing at all, Camille. <laughs> I'm sorry that you don't like the way yeah, heartfelt his, sounds his, on his me. Sarcasm is, again, it's, it's well known. <laughs> Um, <laughs> d- 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 we should make this a regular dispatch. No, not a, not a, uh, not a, not a big P. Could we, we, have, we have we to do absolutely. We have absolutely to give content should. to the to the the kids. All right, and all we right. are remote yeah, now. Wide release. This is wide release. I insist. We're social distancing. And, and I think I think we'll we'll do some more experimentation this week because there are some some guests who I think would be great that could give us some more context. I, I like everybody else listening and everyone on the dispatch have been doing a bunch of reading um, about topics about which I have a lot of questions. So getting someone who might be able to give us some more um, insight there would be yeah. great. Um, yeah. I don't know. Did you guys, um, cause I didn't have a chance to listen to the one from yesterday yet. Cause it's been a, a very long day for me, but did you guys talk about the, uh, the Rogan podcast from last week? That was his name. Uh, Michael Ulsterholm was on the guy Oster, who wrote Oster, deadliest yeah, enemy. Yeah, yeah. We didn't actually. Yeah. 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 yeah was I, there some I, controversy that, about that? I listened to it and liked it. No, I don't, I don't know if there was any controversy about it. I, I thought it was, you sent it to me, Moynihan. I think you sent it around. It was just, it was good. Um, and he was yeah. super interesting and seemed knowledgeable. I didn't, I mean, Joe is, is a good interviewer, but there are certain sections of the conversation that I would have loved to have just bypassed. I wish I was asking the questions on that particular exchange, but I went oh, and got the, the book cons- immediately. The stuff? <laughs> well, not so much the conspiracy stuff, but there was like a, a long ish conversation or a longest section of the exchange. At least it felt long to me about like how the body cools down error air that's being inhaled and i just it it whatever it doesn't matter i went and bought the book the book is really good i've been reading a bunch of stuff but one of the things that i thought was the most interesting um in the conversation was where he suggested that the 2003 um sars situation was an opportunity where we might have been able to develop a vaccine that might have actually been useful against this new uh novel which is the same thing twice anyways, um, coronavirus that we're dealing with now. And he talked about a number of things that got me thinking uh, about previous reading I'd done about uh, the vaccine market and why it doesn't work. And um, I think there's all kinds of interesting conversations to be had about like innovations that might actually make that market function a bit better. Um, and policy reforms that might make that market function a bit better. Um, again, I don't suspect that we'll have many of those thoughtful, interesting, important conversations in the midst of a crisis like this. 
Um, but I was thinking about that conversation and I'm, I'm contrasting it with a lot of the, I wouldn't say that the pieces themselves are panicked, but I just keep seeing over and over again these stories about um, how the Trump administration had either like gutted or defunded the CDC or how this cabinet level position was eliminated. Um, and that is the obvious thing. All of these various ways in which the Trump administration is somehow responsible, that there was a training that took place uh, just before the inauguration where they had uh, actually done some scenarios where they played out what would happen if there was some sort of major pandemic uh, and they needed to respond to it. And apparently they, they didn't perform in an inspired way during this scenario stuff. And I, I just find a lot of that finger pointing, like particularly dissatisfying, um, especially when there are so many um, absolutely critical emergency things that need to be addressed and taken care of. Um, and, especially when the the real lesson here might be that there were a lot of opportunities and plenty of warnings um, about the risk of something like this happening um, and the reality that we live in a world where these these kinds of things, it's actually kind of astonishing once you understand what's happened, that it doesn't happen more frequently, at least that it doesn't happen more frequently in ways that are genuinely disruptive to your life um, and figuring out how we get beyond this uh, and are able to resume sort of a normal life and actually build systems and procedures that can generate vaccines uh, quicker to stuff like this. Um, and that can perhaps allow folks in developing countries to respond a bit more effectively uh, when things like this start up uh, is, I think those are really important, interesting conversations and, um, I, I, I don't know that a lot of the finger pointing is particularly useful. It's, it's simply, so far as I can tell, doesn't seem to be true that the Trump administration actually gutted the CDC. And while they did request that the budget be curtailed, it looks as though the budget never was curtailed in the way that they requested. Yeah, and so even it, the reduction in spending that took place the, was it's, it's, a reduction in spending related to Ebola spending that was going to go away anyways. It was temporary, a temporary boost in spending for a program that there's almost certainly no universe in which that program would have been particularly useful in the current situation since it was targeted at like developing countries and not China, which has a lot of resources and still finds itself struggling to contain situations like this for various complicated reasons. I'm reminded of, of two things, uh, Camille, when you say this. Um, one is our uh, frequently um, cited and also frequently criticized uh, calls for context when people are freaking out about, uh, you know, the number of Facebook ads that influenced the 2016 presidential election. We're always saying, OK, so Russia spent $150,000. Let's pretend it was it was a $1.5 million, which it wasn't. Um, uh, or, you know, that <laughs> these were seen by uh, you know, potentially as many as this many eyeballs. Uh, we're always saying, well, what is the global picture of the amount of spending, the amount of pages, the amount of eyeballs, the amount of clicks you almost never see because they're just trying to find the one uh, kind of big number. Uh, the other thing that I'm uh, that I'm thinking of that's also uh, reminds me of this is this uh, thing that happened a lot after September 11th, um, 
uh, and again, you know, the president at the time of September 11th is someone I was not a fan of, and the president now is someone I'm really, really, really not a fan of. And I think that he has many ways uh, bungled the response, like in ways that are that are obvious you could put your hands around over the last couple of months for sure. And certainly every time he opens his mouth, um, and that's all fair mm-hmm. game. But uh, there is uh, Michael might remember this um, uh, better than I do, but I think something like on uh, August 6th, 2001, yeah. there was a presidential daily briefing. Or some term of yeah. art, I forget. But it's a three, definitely just three. It was in August, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, in which they said, "Hey, you know, we, there might be some attacks that are related to Osama bin Laden coming out." And for sure, that happened. And I'm sure that they also tried to like cover those tracks because it makes them look bad retrospectively and etc. But my question, and this is where the Facebook analogy comes in, is how? And then you know, the, and the report that we saw today is like, yeah, we had this meeting um, uh, in the transition time, and we told them like you might get a. A, a pandemic or a virus, you really need to take this seriously. How many meetings are there like that um, in the transition? Oh my how, gosh. how many? Yeah. How many times do you have experts in the White House or in the Eisenhower uh, Executive Office building um, talking about whatever that they've been working on forever and saying, "No, this one is the one that can." Yeah, you know, Sudan, South Sudan is going to bite you in the ass. You know, uh, like so many different possible things are out there, and to go back and like try to find the one thing, the one meeting, the one, the time, the one office, the one person, um, in which if you would have just paid attention there, um, uh, we can, we're, we're trying to imagine that the world and life is, and policy is this, this linear thing. Um, you flip the switch mm-hmm. or you didn't, uh, that, that's just, it strikes me as, as really a stupid way of looking at things. And it doesn't make you any smarter about looking at the next threat. Unless you can really make the case that there was something super unique about the way that people ignored that then, or are you just working backwards from a calamity? There was a lot of working backwards after a calamity after 9-11. A lot of that was pretty dumb. That, I think, that as a criticism of Trump is pretty dumb. The smarter critique is, okay, people were talking in December and especially January of like – Okay, you're going to have to figure out some ventilators and respirators. You're going to have to figure out some stuff. And it's clear by Trump's own statements, at the very least, that he wasn't taking that stuff seriously until a couple of weeks ago. That is a much more fruitful area of of critique and also like the task at hand. For all of us, really, I think, uh, in the country, uh, in, in the world, is like, okay, shit, what do we do right now? Right? That, I think that is is sort of the more important thing than what meeting uh, didn't get the attention that I wish that it had as the person who called the meeting or was uh, participated in it in, like, uh, you know, uh, d- December of 2016. One of the lessons of that, uh, the president's daily brief that you mentioned from August of 2001, is that, you know, the defense of that uh, of, of the criticism was, uh, you know, when Condoleezza Rice said that, um, you know, like there was nothing specific in it. Um, and you know, which is, which is true as far as it goes. Uh, but you know, the thing is, is that if you react to that and do something, you're going to get criticized anywhere. Or they're not going to believe you. So essentially what happens is, you know, people say we foiled 55 terrorists. Has anyone ever believed that? No. Has anyone ever said Tom Cotton? That Tom, <laughs> Tom, well, Tom Cotton, yeah, yeah. Like if he, that uh, that policy that um, uh, that we have in place to to surveil people without warrants or something is reason why all these things have have we've prevented from happening, even if it's not um, in the service of justifying something that is a controversial um, idea or plan or policy, is that it, you're not going to ever convince somebody that you've done something to prevent something if it never happened, right? And obviously 
it's quite different. It's it's very different in the sense of of, of a pandemic, but uh, but yeah, that that is a, a good parallel because that was the the it was the Bin Laden uh, determined to strike in the U.S. Yeah, and I think that if you had a some sense of Bin Laden, that would be a headline that wouldn't have shocked you, and the the defense that it was that it was old material, um, and it was using historical material to say this is going to happen in the future, and it wasn't saying anything about uh, people. Uh, you know, training on on uh, on flight simulators, uh, Zacharias Musawi or something. Um, but yeah, it's 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 that stuff that I saw that political thing that, that um, Camille sent today. And, and and you're right. It's like the, we can do a list, and it's probably worth doing at some point of the way that this president has bungled it. And you know, Camille, we talked about this on the Patreon the other day, uh, yesterday. That, you know, this I that my sense that this is the time that Trump can't get out of using that, that uh, or you can't get out of uh, of his of his big mouth at this point. It's like you mm-hmm. can say so much and you just ignore it. But mm-hmm. when you can c- compile things of him saying this is not a big deal or yeah. I, I, I take no responsibility or it's <laughs> kind of like he literally said, that. I oh mean, it's my like, God. You kidding? He's like, I take no responsibility. Yeah, and I take like, no responsibility Obama. because Obama. Um, yeah, it's Obama's you know. fault. And it's like, look, conservatives, Republicans, whatever you want to say, that that after the financial crisis, three years into the financial crisis, when when Democrats were still talking about George Bush and how he created the the circumstances that and the financial crisis started on his watch, is like after about three years, like Republicans were like, okay, so when are you going to take some responsibility for this? Is that Trump? is talking about Obama still is just smacks of not even desperation. It's just of complete laziness. He knows the, he knows what his fans like. And he goes, he goes for that. It's like, Oh, we'll just blame Obama or, you know, can we talk about Hillary's emails here? Is that not, that's not going to work. No emails. That's not going to be the pandemic emails. Don't work. <laughs> and it's like, the guy is such a dope that I think that the way I judge him now is not even on what comes out of his mouth. Cause it's usually so absurd and, and you can't even fact check things that are that, that are that, you know, far from the truth. Um, but it's mostly like, can I, can I watch this stuff without grimacing? Um, it's, it is so embarrassing to watch. I can't, I mean, when he's on prompter, it's, he seems like he's in an Al Qaeda hostage video and he's reading slowly and not screwing up. But when he's off prompter, I, I just, I can't, I just, in particular in a time like this, where, you know, it's different because this affects everybody. Everybody has to stay in their house, Right. Um, you don't obviously, if you're living in a very rural area and there's nobody around, but people in major cities, et cetera, and even smaller cities, suburban places, exurban places have to stay in their house. It affects their daily life. They go to the store. There's nothing there. This is something that everyone is paying attention to. When Donald Trump is talking about email service, the rest of it, it's a very small number of people who are paying attention to the things that people on Twitter are paying attention to. This is something that everybody's paying attention to. And I just wonder politically, um, I mean, to say that they've bungled this, I think, is an understatement. Um, But politically, how this affects him um, in, in November I mean, it's up in the air, but I think that there's, I think that there's more likelihood that this will do damage than anything else, but anything before it. I think that's right. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I, I don't, I don't do prognostication. I do not know whether he'll win or lose. I, I do think there's plenty of things that you could probably lay at the feet of the president. The, the thing that is most glaring, however, is he's, he's certainly not the man that you expect 
to cultivate confidence amongst the American people, like the the sensibility that someone is taking care of all of this and that it will be uh, well in hand. I, I I just can't say that he's able to do whatever is necessary <laughs> to to conjure no. that sort of confidence in most American bos- in most Americans' bosoms. Um, but the man who chooses I, Seb Gorka for a job is not a guy. Like, <laughs> we should probably have him running things. But you know, I, I like, definitely think like this which, is. Which bro- which Breitbart like castoffs who are going to handle this problem? <laughs> but this is one of those times where I think the the misdirection of attributing all of the blame to the president of the United States is is it is a a profound disservice to all of us because the problem is sufficiently big and profound um, that it it far outpaces what any really bright president of the United States or executive or Congress can do um, at any given moment of time. Like we really do need some sort of sustained new infrastructure and tools to actually tackle something like this. And there, there simply isn't, I, I don't think, a, a government bureaucracy that could be invented tomorrow that would be able to prevent something like this from happening in the future. Um, and I also don't think that it's necessarily reasonable to imagine that we could just respond in this way um, again uh, if something like this were to happen in six or 12 months. I mean, we, we can say this is a once in a century pandemic. There's certainly nothing. There's no rule, however, that says that it couldn't be. We find ourselves in a similar situation a decade from now. I mean, the world is incredibly interconnected. People travel quickly and whatever bugs they might be carrying travel quickly with them. Um, and it's not hard to imagine a perfect storm like this. We've we've had a lot of close calls, um, as I've discovered in reading about this stuff a lot more carefully recently. Um, we've had a lot of close calls over the course of the last couple decades um, and even more recently over the ca- course of the last decade. Um, and it's it's disturbing to see just how vulnerable we are um, to something like this. Um, one one thought that I had, um, and it just keeps returning to me, is both the degree to which this kind of feels like 9-11, except so much worse in the sense that it's stretched out over a long period of time and there's no one to direct all of your hatred and contempt at, apart from Donald Trump, perhaps, or Mayor de Blasio, if you live in New York and you're walking by the Y that he's working out in. Oh, God! <laughs> what um, it, but what the thing that really stands out to me is the degree to which, you know, in other parts of the world, you have like actual conflicts that have been fought on their soil in the course of, you know, a generation's lifetime. But here in the United States, like, this is very much the first time that some foreign invader has made it onto U.S. soil and made people feel a sense of existential dread. And in the sense that this could be coming, coming to your home at any point in time that you sort of have to hide because the, your own property is at risk and your person and your family is at risk, um, in the homeland, um, in a way that Americans simply are not used to. And I don't know, I don't know what that really does. I don't know how that changes the circumstance, but it does seem to me that there is at least some disadvantage perhaps and being the the one sort of prominent developed country that doesn't have any sort of recent history with that um, beyond, say, Pearl Harbor, 
um, which again, for folks in the continental US, uh, I mean, it feels like a different universe because it kind of is. But I don't know, the thought has come to me anyways, um, in, in terms of just trying to differentiate between like, the, the way I've, I've felt about this at different points in time and the way I imagine other people are relating to this. I would say the one thing about, you know, not being able to trust anything coming from the government, which is which is um, kind of a healthy thing. You should be skeptical of this. But it's a, it's a very funny mixed message from the administration and from the handmaidens of the Trump administration, um, particularly, you know, Fox and Trump's sort of most vocal defenders, is that the media writ large are people that one cannot trust. And that was reinforced at the beginning of this and saying that it is all um, overwrought and overdrawn, and this is just like the flu. And as we talked about at the beginning of this, that might not the, just like the flu thing. That's obviously false, but they might be wrong. And we're we've asked that question and said, you know, can we ask that question? And I, I hope we were reasonable about it. But when you have an administration and, and its and its surrogates saying that the media is, is just cannot be trusted, and from the very beginning saying that this stuff is false, um, who can you trust? Well, them. If you've trusted them, you have come up. It's like when they say if you if you had invested a hundred dollars in Apple stock here, you'd have this much money. If you had trusted them at the beginning to, uh, of this of the this outbreak, um, and as it was kind of spreading in China to to what you know now, you'd know absolutely nothing. You'd know mm -hmm. less than what you came in with. And I think that's a. I don't. I don't want to be able to quote unquote, trust my government when it comes to things like, you know, the Gulf of Tonkin or something. But when it comes to sort of basic medical information, one would expect and one would hope that um, there would not be, they would take a break from the partisan mudslinging and, you know, sort of even invoking Obama in these press conferences, I think is just really gross. Um, particularly now when I talk to people, I talked to a friend earlier um, who actually just called me during this broadcast um, and um, is an Italian whose his family is, is, uh, is penned in in a very nice place with a lot of space because um, they're not in a city and she's in full panic and doesn't know what to believe. And, and this is the, the, the stuff that, and this is a person who's very, very bright too. Not, this is not some dummy, but is not uh, somebody who has a background in science or understands this stuff or has even, you know, even knew, I w would guess that the 1918 Spanish flu pandemic even existed. Um, so yeah, it's, I just, I find it, uh, you know, offensive in a lot of ways that the, the administration has not been able to get its rhetorical shit together at a point to say that, you know, even the only way you can impress upon Trump in situations like this is that it is hurting you um, electorally because the man only wants to win and be liked and, and win re-election. And if somehow they can telegraph that to him, perhaps um, he will back off a little bit and, and be a little more sensible. He has been, of course, in the past uh, few days, but it, it feels like it's at the, at the, the point of a rifle though. So anyway, but, but um, the one thing that we didn't talk about in the, in the, um, the uh, Patreon thing that we did yesterday uh, with Matt on the uh, tin can, uh, <laughs> if you listen to it, you know what I'm talking about, um, is uh, Andrew Gillum. Yeah. Who, during yeah. this controversy, oh my gosh. we've discovered Love's 
meth and having sex with guys. <laughs> I didn't know that. Didn't I? Didn't know that. Is it my business, Pat Foster? I don't know. But is it is it, is it relevant? Maybe. Yeah. But my favorite thing that I noticed today was that he was like, yeah, "It wasn't me. It was on the floor. I don't know what that drug. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. I was just drinking in the bed. And then he's like, "I'm going into rehab." Yeah. The denials have do? the denials really? have fallen away. The denials have fallen you, away. Uh, he's also retired from politics. He's done. Oh, really? Was he a yeah. CNN contributor, by the way? He was indeed. He is no oh. longer. Oh. Yeah. And again, he left. They didn't get rid of him. So They didn't? No. No, oh. I think he resigned from the position just as he is finished with politics. I mean, I think the, the, the situation for this man who is discovered in a compromising situation of apparently... <laughs> He was over over the commode when the police came in to help someone who had OD'd on meth. Um, and apparently it was the male prostitute. Why are you the lead here? Stop, stop, stop. Oh, someone? Sorry. <laughs> a gay porn star. But no, that's I think the gay, like think the gay that, porn you know, star actually the- called the ambulance. I think he called oh, he- the, the authorities in. Yeah, I think so. I think Wait, that's the no, story. The there was like three guys involved. Of- but I thought the gay, the gay porn star was the one that overdosed. I don't know. I know there were three I guys involved. So yeah, there were, there were. Yeah, it was a fun night. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Did you know he, he said that he was in town for a wedding? Um, oh yeah, but he and never actually like, made it to the wedding. wedding. He never made it to the wedding, and he was supposed to officiate. So he was a no show. That's oh how good a night he had. God, that's a good night. That is awesome. <laughs> that is like, I love him. What, what's, oh the, my I, what's the name of the, the, the hangover? This is like the hangover four right there. <laughs> oh my God. Like you this wake is, up and you're the like, craziest part. Hugging the toilet with a gay porn star at the, in the wedding. It's but going they, on with and that. And they asked the dude, they're like, okay, so, so, um, Andrew Gillum said that he's here for a wedding and you guys were going to it. He's like, I, the, everyone's like, I've never heard anything about a wedding. <laughs> I did hear that he had a shitload of meth and we were going to all, you know, have sex in the, in the hotel room. But the best thing is, uh, Chenk, uh, what's his name? The, the guy the, from the, the, the union busting uh, young U- Turk who's Uger. like running for Congress. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he, that's right. He wouldn't let Chenk his uh, staff unionize. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. He did you see his uh his uh tweet? <laughs> no. Uh, oh my god, it was amazing. He was like he was randomly mocked for it. He was defending Andrew Gilman. He's like, look, people, here's a couple things. It wasn't a seedy motel. It was the Mondrian on in in uh South Beach is a very nice hotel. I mean, good point. First of all. Good point. <laughs> uh I stayed there the last time I was I was in uh, I was in Miami. I did not do math. Uh, um just I'm because, we're gonna leave that right there. <laughs> Well, no. I mean, do you want me to fill in the blanks? I'm not a piece of trash. I mean, do cocaine if you have some respect. Um, Crack is whack. Drugs. I'm joking. Crack I'm joking. is cheap. Uh, but his, then he said, I have to find this tweet. It was amazing. But then he said, um, and he's like, and by the way, the drugs were on the floor. And everyone was like, excuse me? What are you talking about? The drugs were on the floor. I mean, it's not like he was doing them. It's like, oh, they were just, just, they were just floor drugs. That happened. You know, because when I checked into that hotel, I was like, guys, can you come up here? There's a lot of floor drugs. And I ordered a single room with no floor drugs. That's so inconvenient. Fucking idiot. <laughs> floor drugs. Like, they literally oh had gosh. to find that tweet. It was like, it was on the floor. And like, it was just so bizarre. I'm like, I can't believe this guy's not my congressman.
He should be my union busting progressive congressman. Yeah. Oh, oh my gosh. Floor drugs. Well, so oh. Andrew's Andrew's uh, Andrew's done. Let's uh, yeah, Andrew finish. Gillum is done. You know what we should do is have this podcast be like uh, what you know. 60 Minutes kind of used to be like this. Oprah, I think, plays some role like this where, where like, the, the, the place where you got to do your walk of shame. The Tonight Show, I think, somehow does that. Like, the, the people who I know who work in crisis management, part of it is, like, you got to get the tough but kind of friendly interview to sort of say, yeah, I know, I did the meth on the floor with the people in the toilet yeah. um and so like we can be we can be out there like uh offering that kind of like hey look you know no judgments here we're just talking we're trying to have a, a laugh here and but we also want you to be in a more healthy place so uh andrew gillum uh you know open invitation here for when you come out of rehab yeah you're ready i don't think he did anything wrong to be honest i mean <laughs> yeah the only thing he did hot. wrong was that he let the dude overdose it's well, like well, come no, on keep, I, keep it in track I'm sorry, Moynihan. I have to object. Um, his mar- his marital bonds. I oh. think that savaging them, destroying them, shredding them, disappointing well, his wife Andrew and his Jones? children. I, I'm just saying, disappointing marriage. his wife and his children. Yeah, no, he's know? he's fleeing to go into rehab right now because he couldn't be quarantined at home with his wife, who wanted to murder him. That is my yeah, presumption. He- I just think that yeah, I mean, anytime it's, Camille it's, gets to the cabin and starts cleaning his guns and like def- yeah, defending his family against the bears and the poors, he starts getting a, <laughs> I know. getting a little he bit territorial. Like Jerry Falwell double junior. <laughs> did you say, did you say pores, Matt? I sure did. did yeah. Against the pores. Yeah. It's all relative. Somebody can be wealthy if there are no more, if there's no more bread and eggs at the store, you know, and I've got a bunch, they may want to come over here. <laughs> I don't care. You rich, you po. Don't try me. Yeah, we got that steel. Can you give the poor people in the state that we've already named, but we won't name again? Can you just give them an egg? Just give them an egg. Not one. I might. I might need that. I don't know how long I got to hold out in here. I don't know. Do you know know that Martin Niemöller quote about (laughs) I didn't have an egg and then they came for me or something? I don't remember. But just be be nice. Uh, Give the poor people an egg. No, Um, go get your go get your own eggs. I'm a hoarder and I am proud. Not yeah. playing games right. with y'all. Well, I got I mean, all the, the way, toilet paper. A, a vindication of of uh, the survivalists, uh, isn't it? Um, by the way, <laughs> always, final point on is. Andrew. I know it always is. <laughs> a final point on Andrew Gillum is that the great thing about this is that the real twist in the story is it wasn't a Republican that was with the gay <laughs> prostitute for once. <laughs> it's true. Absolutely true. It's true. It's a progressive That's Democrat. It's funny because it's true. Yeah. 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 So yeah. don't don't be all, you know, up in your high horse Republicans attacking yeah. the uh, progressive Democrat because it's usually you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Also, love wins again, which is great. Good for him. <laughs> he found himself yeah. and, you know, whatever. Yeah. yeah love wins uh, and on the website. I hope he finds himself like to a healthy, a healthy place. Yeah. This is yeah. it is a sad story on some level. What was the name of the what was the name of the website again? Matt, can you look that up really quickly? I'm sure I know you're probably on it right now. Uh, Which website is if that? It's, if it's not baseball reference, I don't know what you're talking about, really. Oh, is that how you deflect uh, the uh, prostitute activity that you're involved <laughs> yeah. in? Is that what you call it? Baseball oh, reference? Yeah, it's the VPN. It's like the mobsters talk about, like, deliver the cinnamon or something, and they mean cocaine. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just out here there was a- researching John Olrude. Yeah.
Oh wow, John, the 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 great uh, uh, Toronto Blue Jay that had a brain surgery, right? Uh, I forget it. Yeah, that would make sense because he wore the helmet on the field. Yeah, he wore the helmet because he had he. Yeah, he was and at some bit, point, uh, Ricky Henderson's like, "Yeah, there was this guy. Uh, oh, who wore uh, the helmet? It was my teammate. He's crazy." And the person he was telling this was John Olrood, who was his uh, like teammate at the time. Anyways, it's very funny. Go look up the story. I was uh, <laughs> I was also trying to find the website that he, the guy came from, but I just there's another detail in here is that he um, he couldn't. He couldn't talk to the officers because he was too fucked up. <laughs> they tried to question him, and he was like, zab, zab, zab. and they were like, dude, get in, get in the car. I mean, this is amazing. I love you on CNN, but you should really stop doing meth with prostitutes. Um, uh, uh, my favorite we... thing is that oh, God. I don't know how this ha- One final thing is I don't know how this happens. This is a, some uh, USA Today or Tennessee something or other. Um, the newspaper. I did not know this. The case was first reported on Twitter by Candace Owens, a conservative commentator. What? Wow. Is that <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah. Someone must have uh, given her the uh, the Tallahassee Democrat, by the way. Not Tennessee. I'm an idiot. Um, yeah. So that was, that's, uh, good, that's good right. for her. Good yeah, for her. Good for, great, I'm, I'm, she's breaking news. She's breaking hearts. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh my gosh. Our, well, one um, final thing from me before I get out of here, just a quick thing, yeah. is that um, some re, uh, some listener, and please send me an email because I can't find it, uh, sent me uh, an email a while ago and re- recommended uh, a book uh, that the New York Review of Books uh, publishing house uh, released, re-released, um, that came out after the war, I think in 47 or 48, by an Italian writer named Curzio Malaparte, and the book is called Cap- Kaput, and he was um, a fan of Mussolini who became disaffected um, and went and reported from the East Front, uh, embedded with Germans, and wrote a book about the horrors that he saw there. And I think he changed his politics rather dramatically. But the person who did that should should um, email me because I wanted to talk to them about something. I'm reading the book now because in quarantine, there's a lot of books to be read. Um, a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of books to be read. And for those of you out there, um, we had talked and got a great feedback on this on the on the Patreon yesterday about um, whether we should do just weird little experimental episodes while we're all stuck inside. And one of them was um, um, about somebody had suggested doing a particular episode, very deep dive, nerdy thing on on a Ch- the Chomsky documentary, Manufacturing Consent. I don't know where that listener got that idea, but it, it, it's, a, it's kind of an interesting one. A lot of people were positive about it. So, but what I was also thinking was that um, I, I'm going to, I think there should be a book that, that um, to read and, and uh, do a podcast on uh, one in particular. Um, so if you have any suggestions of what that book, novel, history book, uh, political science book, book of philosophy um, should be, uh, do reach out and do send us a message on Patreon. You can, uh, DMs are open on Twitter. Um, and uh, maybe something that I'll rip through in a day and then can do a podcast on and we can all, we can all, uh, um, you know, talk about and, and have some fun in this. Because uh, to me, that sounds like fun because I'm a huge nerd uh, in this time of uh, not a lot of fun. Uh, yeah. When I'm in a, in a small apartment and, and being bored as hell reading Curzio Malaparte's book. So it, it's so far very good. So I, I, I thanks for the recommendation. All right, man. Guys. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, I um, the, everybody out there stay, stay safe. Wash your hands. 
keep a little cash on hand. Stay in school. Um, Don't do Second drugs. Amendment. Second Amendment Drink is a beautiful milk. thing. Oh, Absolutely God. wonderful. It's <laughs> important. Camille, are you going to do one of those wash your hands for 20 minutes or 20 seconds and do a little song thing? And give it to no, the, I don't do that. Do that on the YouTube. I don't do that. I, I, know when, I know when my hands are clean. I don't need a song for that. I know. I don't, well, know, I have, I don't have to count either. What about... God, I hope you get it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's got it coming. He's got it coming. Are you going to at least do the oh uh, Schwarzenegger pet your like uh, goats in your... Uh... Yeah, his like alpacas. <laughs> yeah. Pet your alpacas my and kids wash your hands alpacas. and then pet your miniature ponies. That's gross. <laughs> they love disgusting. cats. I not I've never like, seen them before. Uh, they love carrots. <laughs> I, have a, I have a dog that I don't let lick my face. I'm one of those people. Okay. I'm, not, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm very clean. We were always clean right. over here. Well, get, I mean, you're out in the country, get yourself one of those mini horses like Schwarzenegger and just make a video and put it, put it up and people will love it. And they'll subscribe to the Patreon. You know, by the way, but the last time he was sequestered at home, uh, Schwarzenegger got the, uh, the immigrant nanny pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, a lot of things can happen in this couple of weeks. There, there is going to be a baby boom, like necessarily. It's going to be a like divorce many people we lose, boom. There's going to be, gonna no, be no, there's going to be there's going to be a baby boom. Maybe they'll be separated afterwards, but there's going to be there's all these kids off of school. There's going to be an explosion in teen pregnancies. Explosion. You heard it here first. I wish you'd used yeah. a word different word, yeah. but that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like to reemphasize well, it too, explosion. Yeah, just. Mm. I don't know. It's like um, when I was uh, we we had the episode where we talked to Ross Douthat about porn, um, which is fun. Um, and uh, I was thinking it's got to be the thing. Like I was on the porn set when I did the I did a, a story, and they have the system. You got to bring in all your paperwork. Uh, before you can perform and it was actually good it was actually interesting for the shoot to prove the point in a way is that there was somebody this paperwork came up uh off for like a week off or something and they they wouldn't let the person perform and like that's for the baby boom don't you have to have something like that when i get my results in 72 hours i gotta go i gotta pin it to my chest and tell everyone i'm not i'm not infected and I don't, who's who's having the babies no one's gonna be stooping each other they're gonna they're, 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 are you them. kidding no you trust them Oh, okay. Good. Yeah. So we should do uh, one of those Julian Simon, one of those Julian Simon Paul Ehrlich bets wagers? right now. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we should yeah. do it right now because yeah. I'm oh, telling you, it's going to be fucking. like a like a ten percent increase in teen pregnancy this yeah. time. Yeah, <laughs> ten and months. By the way, a seventy percent increase in masturbation. It's, see, this, <laughs> it doesn't even make sense because the teens, their their parents are home. <laughs> Their parents are yeah, they, can, they can't. They gotta like sneak out somewhere. All right. And I want to. I want to give a, a big, big, big shout out to the people of Pornhub, who yes. uh, who uh, were giving free Pornhub premium accounts to everyone in Italy, and uh, you can get one too if you just uh, uh, put your VPN on Italy. <laughs> so uh, you know, it's, it'll probably work. I don't know anything about it because I'm not at home and I would never watch pornography because I like Ross Douthat, think it is uh, degrading. And disgusting and hilarious and beautiful. Yes. And I think that's exactly what Ross thinks too. Right? I wouldn't. Is that an f- accurate representation of his, his views? I, I, I think that, so. That the cha- right. what, what, All right, the so, charity what, of so free porn. Let's do one of these again soon. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, let's, let's do, yeah. let's like do video. Three ne- more this week. Let's do video uh, next time. Well, oh, we'll God, see. There's some issues with my, with my fiber out here in the country. Um, that's not we'll fiber. see. <laughs> yeah. 
Can't you get some? Do you used to do a telecom company? Can't you hook some shit up? Get some like satellite thing or something. I, I figure that you could figure it out, but apparently not. I can barely hear yeah, you on a Skype call. I'm telling you, there are issues with the fiber. All right. All right. Yeah, we're gonna work on it. We'll see what we can do. Uh, all right. Okay. All right. All right. Um, well, I hate all of you. Yes. And I hope you all get coronavirus. And um, <laughs> you know, just don't feel well. That's yeah. true. I just don't. I I'm, don't want you guys to feel well. Uh, doing great. I've been Thank suffering. you. <laughs> and how many fucking edible arrangements baskets came here? Zero. None. <laughs> Nothing from you guys. Selfish yep. assholes. All right. Okay. We'll talk oh, to you. Damn it. Uh, I just went I'll to, to, to Pornhub website by accident. See? <laughs> <laughs> by accident. <laughs> I turned on my VPN, set it to Italy, no, and went to Pornhub <laughs> by accident. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was a mistake. Yeah, Bye. sure. Why did it autocomplete after seeing <laughs> you turned it to <laughs> No, you were yeah. talking about it, and it doesn't matter. You started Bye. typing? Yeah. <laughs> is your mother-in-law behind you? <laughs> that is completely inappropriate. Yeah. yeah. So I was watching Pornhub at her house. I'm not into that kind of, I'm not into that kind of thing. Uh, it's just... That's making right. it stop. going too far. Just, the wheels Good came bye. off of this. All right. All right. Bye. So, bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>